Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck Podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A show designed to create connection, fuel compassion, activate change, and figure out just who the fuck you are. Hey gang, you're listening to the latest episode of the Who the Fuck Podcast. Our guest today is singer, songwriter, and host of the Inevitable Shit Podcast, Ray Dussolet. Ray spends her time between the Bay Area and the Pacific Northwest on a mission to create connection with her audience while promoting courage, vulnerability, empathy, and empowerment through her music. Ray also has worked with organizations such as the Women's Wisdom Initiative, the Intuitive Writing Project, and Girls in Real Life to empower women and young girls through the arts and mentorship. A fierce advocate for accessible mental health resources, Ray is dedicated to using music and activism to make the world a better place. Before we dive in, I do want to provide those listening with a trigger warning. The topic of today's discussion highlights very personal details of Ray's story and how those details translate into her unique style of music and deeply intimate lyrics. As some of you know, part of my inspiration for starting this podcast was born from my own experiences and needing an outlet. As I've gone through my first season, I really want to further emphasize the importance of sharing other people's stories and how vital it is to provide a safe, trusted space where people can show up fully as they are. So all of that said, Ray, would you like to share a little bit about yourself with our listeners? Yes. Hello, Nikki. First, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, It's an honor to be here. And hi, I'm Ray. I'm a singer-songwriter located in Bellingham, Washington. I'm a college student focusing on psychology, social justice, and creativity. Really love any and all things creative. (laughs) And I'm just super excited to be here. So thank you again. Yeah, of course. I'm super jazzed that you are talking to me today and that you're sharing your story. I think it's one that is really important and will resonate a lot with people. So to dive kind of right into it, I first stumbled upon your profile because your music is really just beautiful. You have a wonderful voice and a very keen way with words. So how did you get started on your path to becoming a musician and a lyricist? Yeah. Well, I've always loved music. I've always loved performing in the arts. I got into guitar in high school and I had a guitar teacher who specialized in French jazz music, which I know sounds super niche, but it was perfect because I actually grew up in France a bit and fell in love with French music during my time there. So it worked out really well. And he started taking me to different performances he had. And we performed together at various bars and restaurants in the San Francisco Bay Area where I grew up. And I started that in high school. And then as my teenage years went on and things got darker and rougher, I started writing music. And that became a huge coping mechanism for me. And then I just never stopped. Well, I I love that you have the bilingual component to your music as well. I think so much more often, especially in the U.S., we hear more bilingual to Spanish, and I can appreciate that. But I also took seven years of French, which are very faded at this point. But I've always had an affinity for French music of all kinds and sort of all periods of time. So it's a really awesome thing to know that it hasn't totally dwindled out of, you know, our purview. It's it's something to definitely keep alive. So I'm glad for that. So like you said, you're a college student, much to my surprise. I think you said you recently turned 21, right? Yeah. Okay. So 
I mean, your voice, your lyrics, and just your overall vibe seem to exude a level of maturity and confidence that I think most people don't find until later in life. Do you feel like you've always identified as a bit of an old soul, or do you feel like there was some sort of forcing function in your life that required you to mature more quickly? Or perhaps it's a combination of both. Yeah, I feel like it was a combination. I did have to grow up pretty fast. And just from a young age, being exposed to like very adult issues and learning how to take care of myself. And like in high school, being forced into the troubled teen industry, which is like a totally separate topic. But just having to be a grown up when I was a kid pretty much got me to where I am today. And that has pros and cons, you know, pros are like, I get to connect with people of all ages and have the honor of diving into some more mature themes and getting that emotional connection. But cons and things that I'm still working on are keeping that playfulness and lightheartedness that maybe I didn't get as much of as a kid. And, you know, it is what it is. And all of that has just influenced my creativity and my art and where I'm at now. So I love that you speak to it in that way where, you know, those more difficult times required a level of really resilience, I think. You know, I think sometimes maturity is bred from resilience out of necessity and being able to not only take care of yourself potentially in an actual environment of where you are physically, but also taking care of yourself emotionally. So, I mean, do you find that you have a greater purpose or you feel that you have a greater purpose now that you are creating and sharing music that's so personal to you? I do. I do. And my mission as a songwriter really since day one has been what I call creation for connection. And I love that that is so similar to what your mission is with this podcast. Because since I started writing music, which was when I was in the treatment centers as a teenager, it just became so evident to me that vulnerability is strength speaking your truth is power and creativity connects people. And the only reason that I have the courage to publicly share what I do, which seems like these personal stories, it's because people have told me I'm not alone with those stories and with those experiences. And so when I put myself out there, I know that what I'm communicating isn't just me and my story. I have every intention to give back that gift of helping someone know they're not alone And that's really what I'm here for. Yeah, it's a really beautiful answer. And I think the sentiment was completely shared between us that that idea of creating connection is really what we're here for. You know, I I kind of muse about this alone sometimes when it's late (laughs) at night and I'm bored. I'm like, why are we here? What difference does it make to anybody? You know, it feels like so many things are wrong in the world. And I think that, you know, it's twofold, right? I think music is a really grounding thing for us. It's something that people of all different walks of life can relate to based on either the type of music that they like or the lyrics that they like or both or somebody's voice. Like there's so many layers to your art and music in general that I think we often lose sight of when we're in those dark moments. And sometimes it takes listening to the right song to get you out of it or the right song to even let you sink into it. I just think about breakups, right? You're like, oh, I broke up with somebody. I'm going to be completely melancholy for the next two weeks listening to the song on repeat until like I've cried every tear I can cry. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, but you also mentioned something before that I wanted to touch on, which is finding that 
ability to be playful also. And mm-hmm. it's something that I've actually personally been more intentional about recently as well. And my therapist actually said to me a couple of weeks ago, like, I'm loving seeing this more playful side of you. And I'm like, that's who I am. That's a big part of me and my personality. Like, I like to have fun and I like to be a gentler, softer person in a lot of ways while still having that conviction. And I think that it takes finding those right outlets the older you get because it's not as straightforward. And so it really requires you to investigate what you care about and what will allow you to get there. So do you feel like listening to your songs, looking at your Instagram feed, you bounce sort of back and forth between like you're very sincere and thoughtful and intimate lyrics to some things that are a little bit more playful. Like I think one of the things that immediately turned me on to your music was the little reel or something that you did about wearing a mask. And I was just like, yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Your voice is so beautiful that doing something silly like that not only highlights obviously the purpose of what you were singing, but also Mm -hmm. that it grabs somebody's attention. There's this whimsy and this this humor and this bit of attention that you get to focus on an issue that people are getting all riled up about right now. And you brought something kinder to it. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, thank you for that. I do try to create some playfulness and lightheartedness for sure. in even in more of a professional sphere. I mean, not that social media is professional, but it's a platform and that it's influential and sometimes it can be taken really seriously. And do you feel like your podcast and your platform is play in a sense? Yeah. I mean, I do. I think that that's a great question. Thanks for turning mm-hmm. it back on me. I do think it gives me a level of joy and fulfillment that a lot of other things don't. And so I feel like It's not necessarily the podcast itself, but it's parts of the conversations that I get to have with people, even just the exchange that we had leading into me answering this question, right? It makes me feel good to see somebody laugh and smile and be open and be wholly who they are. And that part is very deeply fulfilling. And then there's the part of it that makes me feel lighter and overjoyed and calmer because there's a way to create intimacy with play in the way of it breaks down barriers, right? Like you and I don't know each other. And I think that when people are aligned with what they hope to achieve, achieves a bad word to use because I think that's more goal oriented. But like when you meet somebody and you have a good vibe with them or you have something that's sort of implicit, you're like, okay, I can sort of just roll with the punches and it happens. And I think when those really organic moments form, And they turn into either a laughing fit or something you didn't realize you had in common with somebody that you don't know. Like those things light me up and they get me into this headspace of, okay, I can do this more and I want to do this more because I want more of those moments and I want to be able to break up some of the serious nature of a lot of the conversations that I'm having with something that is still extremely human. And to your earlier point, it's vulnerable, but it's vulnerable in a way that is all-encompassing when you can tackle the hard subjects and also still have that element of joy that surrounds it, even though the components of the conversation or the topic are sometimes harder to get through. Totally. Yeah, I hear that so much. And I created this phrase for that because I was like, how do we talk about that? And that's why my podcast is called Inevitable Shit. I love it. And that's why the song called it too, because it's just, that's what the wholeness is, right? It's having the really hard parts and the parts that are like laughing and joy because it's all just so part of the human experience. And yeah, I'm always trying to bring them all together into every moment. 
I appreciate that. Yeah. One of my friends always says it's just as important to laugh as it is to cry and to cry as it is to laugh. And I think it really yeah. resonates with me because I would say historically, I've not been much of a crier in my life. And you start going deep enough on the things that really make you tick or the things that you wish didn't make you tick. And you definitely let some of that out a little bit more freely. And I think sometimes that does come at the cost of some of those more playful moments. But to your point, it's finding that balance. Like, how do you create that for yourself? So you've released this song recently, very, very deep, personal song called Nice Guy. And this song is powerful in a lot of ways. It sort of thrusts the listener into the lyrics immediately because you lead with these three lines. You're a complicit bitch, like limp dick, can't stand up for what's right. And it really stands out as a poignant anthem for those affected by sexual violence. So can you talk about your journey and realizing what inspired you to write this song and gave you the space and the freedom to actually get through not only writing it, but performing it and putting it out there? Yeah. First, just as background to lay it out there, I think for survivors of sexual violence, there are so many factors that contribute to the trauma of being a survivor because there can be like the initial incident or incidents, the assault. And then there's the reaction to deciding to share that with someone. And if that reaction is invalidating or victim blaming or attacking, that can be equally, if not more damaging to the survivor. And there have been scientific studies on this. It's a re-traumatization. And so just over a year ago, I went through that when I came forward with being assaulted. And there was this group of people who essentially came after me and started bullying my family. It was very surprising, pretty disheartening to say the least, just like very devastating. And I had just started recovering from that over the past year. And the support I have ended up receiving has been amazing and has led me to realize that that I shouldn't be carrying the shame that others were trying to put on me. And as I started to realize that is when I started to tap into this anger that felt really, really sacred, like pissed anger, the kind of anger that's really uncomfortable, at least for someone like me who hangs out way more in sadness over anger. Yeah, yeah. I totally get that. <laughs> and so what inspired me was not only being angry about being called a liar and feeling attacked, but it was just the audacity of one particular man who was involved in bullying my family. My parents called me up one night this past summer and were like, we ran into him and he came up to us and was asking, oh, how's Ray doing? How's she doing? Is she still writing music? And so when I heard that, it just touched something in me in that anger spot. And I just knew in that moment that music was how I was going to tell this story. And I wrote Nice Guy that night. It just came out so quick. And Nice Guy, it's not about the bad guy himself. Nice Guy is about the guy who lets the bad guy do what he wants and both of them get to keep their power. Nice Guy, it's the guy who claims he's a feminist for clout because he's scared of not being liked by women. It's the guy who caves under peer pressure and will join in on the bullying and the shaming of the survivor behind closed doors, but will smile when he sees the survivor in the street, or like in my case, asking my parents how I'm doing. 
And I'm talking in the song about, or right now, about these dynamics as characters, like nice guy, bad guy. And I know that it's not so black and white or gendered even. Sexual violence is a really complex thing, but at a basic level, we have perpetrators of violence and we have enablers of perpetrators and both are violent at the end of the day. I was just going to say, I think that's a really good way of articulating it. And it's interesting that that's sort of the nature of how the song was formed, because I literally had a group text thread going back and forth between my friends and myself today, where one of my friends sent a message about, gosh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was basically along the lines of people who are enabling other people to do these things, typically men, just statistically speaking. And then on top of it, that there's this layer of it's always sort of told through the voice of the woman, how it happened instead of the direct nature of what truly is occurring and who is in control of that happening. Because I think and I'll let you speak because this is obviously your story to tell, but I do think there's this element of it where we as women have basically been coached into this narrative of if something happens to you, it's your fault somehow. Even if we don't believe that at our core, I think that what you just described explains for many people why so many don't come forward. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, the things that I heard in response to speaking about this was ridiculous. I was told word for word, I was crying wolf. I'm the reason that feminism has a bad rap, that I was breaching this guy's privacy by talking about him assaulting me. You know, just the most intentional things to put the blame back That's on bullshit. Me. That just fucking pisses um, me off. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Are you kidding me? Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, oh, I'm so sorry that I'm talking exactly. about something that they shouldn't have ever done in the first place. And that he will never live with the same feelings that you have. That's the other thing that really pisses me off. There's zero empathy for somebody who does something like that. Zero on my side, at least. I'm not a forgiving person when it comes to shit like that. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that in the past, I've written songs about these topics before. And there's a song literally called Forgiveness on my first album about reckoning with these experiences. But this happened since coming out with this song. And this song is different because I'm not singing about just letting go. I'm singing about taking a stand. And Nice Guy, it's like a big formal fuck you to the people who are too scared to stand up for what's right and who perpetrate violence as a result. And anger is really what inspired me. And if there's one thing that I want to communicate to survivors, it's that being angry is more than okay. And that anger is power. And part of the healing process is learning how to use it if you have it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really well stated. And I, I appreciate that you have such a way with words, both lyrically and in your communication around your own experience, because I get that. I mean, I feel that very deeply for a lot of reasons. My wife is a survivor of sexual violence. Many of my close friends are. I've had plenty of close calls. There's moments where I don't know, honestly, a lot of women wouldn't say they had at least some close call. And so I think that for you to be putting yourself out there with these lyrics, but it's not just the lyrics, like you said, it is the way the song is written. It is really the structure of the song is so direct and it has an element of sort of conversational to it 
where it feels like you're speaking to somebody about something, but you've layered in your music and the harmony and really gotten something more out of that. But because it starts so, so frankly, like I said, it thrusts you into it and it forces you to realize what you're about to listen to. And I think that that was a really really intense and powerful and beautiful moment for me, while also equally heartbreaking, if that makes sense. And not in a way, and I'll specify because I think it's important because there are so many people in my life who have been affected by sexual violence, unfortunately, is that there's a lot, I think, to say people constantly are like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry it happened to you. I'm sorry. It's like, no, people don't want apologies. I understand where that comes from. And I understand that that's how some people can show their empathy or sympathy. But do you feel like when people respond to you sharing your story in that way, do you feel like that's taking some of your power away from you? Because I feel like that's a big part of the language that we use when speaking about sexual violence is a lot of times people are referred to as victims. And Mm -hmm. in my mind, I try to only use the term victim when that person didn't survive. Mm, Yeah, I hear that. I think language is really important and very powerful. And I refer to people how they refer to themselves. Personally, like I definitely choose survivor over victim any day because it feels more empowering. And I don't believe I am defined by what happened. I believe I define myself after what happened. But I also meet people where they're at and how they're defining themselves. And then I guess responses that I find most helpful I think I can hear the sympathy behind I'm sorry, but empathy is a lot more powerful than sympathy. And Tarana Burke, the founder of Me Too, actually talks about that, how we need empathy, not sympathy. And empathy looks like, I see you, I hear you, how can I support you? And really showing up in solidarity instead of just, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, yeah, because I mean, to your point, right, it gets back to being complicit, right? And this goes for women and men or anybody of any gender or way of life, frankly. I mean, I think that we have grown into a society that has framed this type of conversation and this type of issue as something that is sort of behind closed doors. And the statistics Mm -hmm. show it. I think it's five in every 1,000 rape cases lead to a jail sentence. And those are usually nothing. And that's if 10% of people are actually reporting it. So it just goes to show that there's, I think, so much more opportunity for us as individuals and as a society to come together and address these issues. And music like yours is really a stepping stone to that, in my opinion. So what was it like for you to go in such a bold and vulnerable direction? And what type of feedback have you received since releasing it? Because you only released it a week or so ago. Yeah, it's new. And being bold and vulnerable... It has been so empowering and also just so fun. I love how we were talking about play earlier because writing this song was like, it's so sassy. It's so fun. It's so direct and blunt, which is a newer side of myself. And just writing the lyrics was a blast because I totally embedded hidden messages and people's names into the song, <laughs> even if I'm Easter the eggs. only one who knows them. <laughs> yes. And it was also just really affirming and healing as a process because The ways I've been supported both by people and by the universe have been really miraculous. I wrote Nice Guy the night that I wrote it. Woke up the next morning to a text 
from an acquaintance who's now become a good friend asking if she could record a song of mine for a project the very next morning. And I just knew this was so meant to be. And we recorded it together. Her name's Bryn. She does some of the beautiful harmonies and background vocals on the track. She's nothing but loving and encouraging through that process. And then I guess on boldness and on vulnerability, I did that publicly, but it's because I practiced for like a year in private first. (laughs) You know, I had many friends and loved ones I let them know what happened and it was scary and I was scared that they might respond the ways that the other people I trusted responded, which was in that really horrible way. But then it took receiving so much love and support and compassion to take that boldness public. And that's where healing starts, I think, is in private. I think that's a really incredible and thoughtful sentiment. And I agree with you. I mean, when you were describing sort of the uncharacteristic anger that you felt, I would refer to myself as a pretty gentle, loving person. I certainly had a temper for a good portion of my life, but for different reasons. (laughs) And most recently, two marches ago now, my wife was a victim of a sexual assault, unfortunately, not the first time. And the first time while we've been together, and we've been together for about 12 years, and I found her. And so for me, there was a lot of guilt there was a lot of anger and frustration with how the police failed to handle it. There was immediate blame and shame placed on my wife and myself, which to your point, traumatized us within that situation even further. And you come away from that and it's almost like you can't help but be angry because you rely on the people around you to believe you, to understand that this is not something that holds any sort of glory for somebody who's coming forward about it. And frankly, one of the things that I'm hell bent on continuing to advocate for and and want to actually start trying to figure out how to influence the legislation on it is having trauma-informed training mandated for first responders. Because when women are the most commonly victimized people in these types of scenarios, and men are more often statistically the perpetrators, and you have men who are mostly what make up the police force and EMTs and first responders coming to a woman on the site of something like that. How can you expect to get anything out of that person in those moments and then to exacerbate the pain of the situation by being ignorant and also just blaming, shaming within the situation? It's repugnant. And I mean, we were living in Seattle at the time. We're in the suburbs now. But I mean, my first thought and what I said to my wife was, we have to call the police. We have to call the police. She was like, no, 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 they're not going to do anything. They never do anything. And I was like, no, we have to. And we called. And I mean, the amount of gross negligence, I mean, the SPD is all over the news right now with how shitty they are. So no surprise there. But it was really something because I'm not somebody who's going to sit here and absolutely say, fuck the police. They're completely useless. I don't feel that way. I have plenty of friends who have spouses who are on the force. I think there is a purpose, but I think that you cannot expect people who are trigger happy authoritarians to deal the appropriate way with people who go through something like what you've been through or my wife's been through or anybody who has even a remotely similar experience feels because you're not even just being a bystander and the spouse in that situation was so gut wrenching that it took me months and months of therapy, like heavy duty trauma therapy 
to be able to actually get to a point where I didn't physically get into fight or flight mode and start to feel clenched up all the time. I would constantly be like, I'm so pissed. I would see a cop car and I'd be triggered. It could be something so small. And the whole rest of your life is until you really sort of commit as much as you can to the healing process and you get to that point where you're ready to, you are living in this constant state of fight, flight, or freeze. You're just constantly going back and forth with those emotions and those responses. Do you feel like that's, I'm sorry, because I totally went off on how I can relate to it, but because I don't have firsthand experience, thankfully, I do have very close experience. And I would say it was an extremely traumatizing experience for both of us. And I think it was something that was vastly eye-opening for me. And to be honest, when we think about what inspires us to be creative people, like I went headfirst into getting my thoughts out there. I started writing a lot more and then I transitioned that into the conversations like this because it made me feel like people need to be able to talk about these things. And it doesn't always have to be this. But if you don't create a place for that, then nobody's ever going to feel like they can. Totally. You put that so well. I hear that. When I talk about what I've created or when I like see what you've created out of this, it's such a beautiful thing. And at the same time, I feel like I have to say that there's so much underneath that, like what you were just sharing very vulnerably about behind the scenes, what you're experiencing on the day to day in order to end up creating this, those results of sexual violence. And then there's maybe what you can create from it, but I don't want to glamorize the recovery too much because the music for me, that's not what the healing was. The healing was dealing with the PTSD, the shame, the wanting to die. And I never, never imagined I'd be singing about it. Can I interject for a second? Because I really want to comment on what you said, which is that you don't want to glorify these heinous, heinous crimes. And that's the thing is that's what they are. And that's not what they're treated like, which is also where I get this. I mean, I already feel it. I've done enough therapy to be like, my body's responding to how pissed I was about this. And I'm still pissed about it. And that's the hard part is it never goes away. And for a really long time, I couldn't understand before I was sort of part of the story with my wife recently, it was very much an out of sight, out of mind thing. And the same thing with my friends who were basically family to me that I knew about it. It's not that I didn't empathize or care or have that regard for it. It's just that I had never been close enough to the situation to have the perspective that I have now. And I remember going to therapy like shortly after and my therapist saying to me, it's basically like this stuff's been there the whole time and the light just went on. And I said, I I miss being blissfully ignorant in some ways. And then I think the contrast to that in what you were saying about it can be part of the healing process, but you don't want your music to be defined by this one thing the same way I don't want every conversation I have to be defined by that thing. But it is certainly an input into why I do things the way that I do them, how I try to remain loyal to what I care about and how I'm giving to other people my attention and my care. And at the end of the day, this is such a very difficult thing to tackle that more people have experienced than will probably admit it. But the hope is that in going through this process of your healing and writing this song and my healing and starting this podcast and connecting through this is, does somebody hear this and feel like 
they've been seen? Does somebody hear this and feel like they don't have to exist in this feeling that they have by themselves? Because I think that's really where that component of creating connection resonates, I think, for the both of us from the brief conversations we had before this and now. If we don't give as much as we can, what other choice is there? You either go so far down the rabbit hole, you never come back, or you got to try to launch in the other direction. And I respect that a lot. I respect that you took the leap in the right direction, in the positive direction to be able to leverage your experience to act as some sort of catharsis for you, but to also bring some sense of unity to something where in my estimate, more often than not, people feel quite isolated. Yeah. Isolation is, I feel like one of the biggest hurdles and that goes back to shame and that goes back to just living through any form of violence in general. And that's why I just always am so grateful for the people I had to lean on and why I like to be someone that others can lean on to because no one deserves to stay alone. And no one is alone because like you were saying, so many folks have unfortunately had to endure these experiences, but finding that support and that love in the midst of that is so essential. Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head too with that in that in a lot of ways, something that could have really easily sent me and I'm sure sent you and plenty of other people into this sort of spiral about how awful the world is and how horrible people are, which I mean, I have moments, don't get me wrong, but I firmly believe that there's more good in this world. And I think that having the capacity to show up for other people who have gone through experiences like yourself, or even if it's not relatively the same, having the ability to sit with somebody who's experiencing the pain and just exist for them. I think that's a big part of it. People showing up for you in these moments is, in my experience, I just remember the morning after it happened, I called one of my friends later that night and he and his wife were out at their anniversary dinner and he was like, you never call me, what's wrong? And his wife left dinner, came over. And I just remember I was standing on the landing in our townhouse and he's a good eight or 10 inches taller than me. And he's standing on the landing and he just was standing there staring at me and gave me this massive hug and just sort of kissed the top of my head and made me feel safe. And I needed that. I had never had a moment in my life where I had felt that unsafe. It wasn't like I was necessarily unsafe in that situation, but the impact of seeing my wife so vulnerable, of seeing the person that I love most in this world really hurt was something so profound and so painful for me to experience, especially as somebody who tends to be overly empathetic to begin with. It really shook me to the core. And it was like, how do you get through this? How do you move past it? Because in those moments after a traumatic experience, I mean, I would say the most traumatic thing that probably happened in my life prior was one of my best friends passing away when I was 16 in a car accident. And so I didn't have the emotional maturity to understand the impact of that at the time. And having the emotional maturity to really understand what was happening to me in some of those moments and then the things that I didn't understand because I've never experienced something like that. It's just you need this support. And at the same time, all you want to do is sort of crawl into a hole and get away from everybody because you're like, you just can't, it's too much, you know? And so how do you think that you struck that balance for yourself? And do you think that you tried to 
make that one of the undertones of your song as well. Because I think that there's this sort of meta question there, which is what did you want people to come away from that song feeling? And how did that apply to your actual experience? When I think about what I want people to come away with after listening to the song, first is that I want everyone to feel like they have every right to tell the truth. And hopefully that truth is going to be heard by people who can listen and support and break them out of that isolated feeling. But even if that's not the case, I want survivors to feel entitled to their experiences and to know that they never have to diminish their light because someone's hellbent on making them feel small. And there is this really beautiful quote by a survivor, Chanel Miller, who wrote yeah, Know I, My Name. Yes, I know exactly who she is. Yes, she's so brilliant. Love for Chanel Miller. She's brilliant. But this quote is really, I just feel like it represents what I was wanting to do with this song so much. And it says, never fight to injure, fight to uplift fight because you know that in this life you deserve safety, joy, and freedom. Fight because it is your life, not anyone else's. And, you know, if that is the only thing that I communicate, like I'm happy, I just want survivors to feel like they have the right to take their safety and their joy and their freedom back. And that does oftentimes happen through connection with others and finding the right people who you can lean on. And yeah, it's just such a process. Um, Yeah. I mean, I appreciate you being so thoughtful and truthful about what you've been experiencing and how that has translated for you into both your art and your life. I love that quote. And Chanel Miller has been on my radar for a while. She's very brilliant and very well-spoken and just also, I don't know if you follow her on Instagram, but she has, see, she has that playful element. She does these doodles and it's great because it's this really lighthearted, funny sort of vibe. But what I almost feel like when I was going through the process of listening, so I listened to an interview more deeply about her story. I tried to listen to the audiobook, but it was too close in proximity to the timeline and I really stressed myself out. So I had to reel it in. But when I listened to her interview and her recounting the experience, so much of it was about how lost she got in the narrative and how everything became about the specifics of the situation and not about the person who was most deeply and profoundly impacted by the actions of this other person. And then, of course, we know the ruling on that was the biggest crock of shit ever, Brock Turner's a piece of shit, and I'll just say it here. <laughs> so, and I would say that to anybody who feels that they can take any sort of authority over somebody else's body or being like that. And I think that's what makes it so difficult for me to comprehend as an empathetic person because I just couldn't fathom what kind of dark, fucked up place do you have to be to think that that is what you should be doing. Because the thing that I think is really challenging with something like this is it's never treated like the crime that it is. And arguably, I've made the case that I think crimes of sexual violence are possibly worse than murder because the people who experience it still have to live with it. And having witnessed that firsthand, having experienced that as a degree of separation is something I feel pretty confident saying. You said earlier, wanting to die. And my wife has said the same thing to me. You feel like something, when you're deeply traumatized by something, there is a sense that you're sort of in this fog. 
after it happens and you almost don't exist within yourself anymore. And I imagine that's probably even more difficult as somebody who has experienced the actual act of violence. So I certainly respect that there are people who want to be more reserved about their conversations about it, who don't want to share their experiences. But there's a missed opportunity sometimes with that because it gives people the leeway to not pay attention to it. And one of the things, especially as we're sitting here in election season with the fact that the president's a rapist, the amount of allegations against him are astounding. Joe Biden also has allegations against him. I've had this moment where it's like, how triggering must that be for somebody to feel backed into a corner that you don't even have a choice. If you do want to vote, you have to pick one of these people. One who you can absolutely validate is a perpetrator. And the other one, I couldn't find anything to substantiate it to the most degree beyond the single person's interview. But in the interest of listening to women, I don't know why somebody might want to go that direction falsely unless they felt they had something to gain. But when people come forward and they lose everything that they have, we are doing such a complete disservice by neglecting to talk about it in the forums that they should be spoken about, because this is what should be talked about when we think about law and order. This is what we should be talking about when you talk about why people should be punished for their crimes. This is such a blatant disregard for the humanity and the suffering that occurs as a result of somebody making that decision for somebody else. I feel like that's something that we are failing as. I am waiting for the day that that becomes a conversation on a debate stage. Totally. Yeah. And there are so many survivors who deserve legal justice. And it's been a huge disservice to survivors who have been failed by the legal system. And I mean, even out of like law and order context, there's so much opportunity for community-based education and support around teaching people and kids about consent, really basic age-appropriate ways. When I came forward with my story, the people who responded by literally like shaming and bullying me and my family, it totally could have been an opportunity for all of them to think about the kind of conversations they want to have with their sons. But instead, they had to attack for whatever reason. Just in everyday life, in smaller scales, there is opportunity to use these really hard conversations to create more connection and empathy and education. And I don't think we can expect to see anything on a bigger scale until we start doing that work in our communities and in our families and with our friends. And so I've been definitely trying to bring more of that into my life. And yeah, I mean, I guess my attempt backfired (laughs) about a year ago when I got attacked as a result, but it didn't backfire because I was able to create something else out of it. May I ask, and no obligation to answer, but how did your family respond to that? It was interesting. They wanted to support me. And at the same time, they were under attack in such a profound way that they weren't sure how it happened if it hadn't been my fault. And so... I had to do a lot of recovery with my parents in terms of helping them understand that the harm being done to them didn't have anything to do with me as a survivor speaking up. It had to do with the responses from the people who weren't equipped to handle that. And they came around and I feel like they have my back now, but it was really painful 
feeling like I had to fight for that support as well and just like do that labor while I'm also experiencing the brunt of the pushback from those other people as well. It was a mess. Yeah. It's not even remotely a one-to-one, but when I came out to my parents, it was very much about their reaction to me telling them, not about what I was experiencing. So I can certainly empathize with you with regard to that because it is really challenging when the people that you need to hear and see you are more focused on what their experience is like, as if it could even remotely compare to what you were experiencing and going through and trying to, at that point, especially being recent, right? Like I think the time in between something happening and when you actually get to a place where you can function and process it and look at it a little bit more objectively. I don't know that we ever can look at it fully objectively, but it takes a lot of courage to be able to talk to somebody about that. And in the absence of that support from your family, that's something that I think it just further imposes that sense of isolation on somebody because why would you want to open up if the response that you got when you were vulnerable was something that made you recoil because it came back to you somehow it was now on you and if you had had any choice in the matter that would never have happened and trying to get somebody to see that it's frustrating as the person on the receiving end of the missing empathy (laughs) absolutely and one of the things that I heard from them was you have to be more responsible in the future for your actions and how you choose to communicate as kind of a criticism for how I chose to go about speaking about my experience. And that hit me hard. And what I realized after getting some much needed support from some friends was I get to talk about my experience, however the fuck feels right for me having lived these experiences No one else has to like it, but their actions and their responses are their responsibility. I did not deserve what happened. I did not create what happened. I gave my peace and the reaction was not on me. And especially when I was feeling more alienated from my family, there was a day that I decided to talk to my friend about it. And I was so scared because it had felt like everyone I trusted, my family and this group of family friends who turned on us, everyone I trusted had betrayed me a bit. And this friend, just her being there for me made me cry just because I wasn't even expecting it. And like when I talked about it, I was so afraid. I was just used to hearing those negative messages at that point and being blamed and to hear the validation of, you didn't deserve that. You did what you could. You spoke your truth. You deserve love and care and safety. Those are the things that helped me start to heal and get on the path that led me to write Nice Guy. That's really touching. And I appreciate you just continuing to be so vulnerable about your experience and how not just what those moments following were like in the ones that were the hardest, but also that sense of relief that we can find in each other. And in those moments where we can feel so alone and so lost that people show up sometimes when we least expect it. And that ends up being the game changer for a lot of us. And, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and they had mentioned that they were at a point in their life where they wanted to kill themselves. And knowing that other people were thinking about doing that made her not want to do that because it almost sounded like it created this awareness of what that impact could be 
But I think when you're so in your own head about it, because I think that's the only way to describe it. You're in your head, like all you're doing is thinking about it, even when you're trying not to think about it. I think the best way to describe it is honestly, when something really traumatic happens, it's sort of like it initially takes over everything that you think about. And then over time, it's sort of that cloud lessens and lessens and lessens. And then eventually, it's just this thing that's always there because unfortunately, you can't get rid of it. And that would be the best thing to do. But we don't live in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but like that piece of it, right, like that remains. And so it does infiltrate, I think, our identity to an extent, but not the action. It's our reaction to what has occurred. And I'm grateful that you had that friend who showed up for you, because I think that as the people who want to support other people, I think sometimes you just go into a situation like, well, I'm doing what I would hope somebody would do for me or what I feel is the right thing to do for somebody else. But like you said earlier, there's plenty of people who don't step up. There's plenty of people who will walk away. I think that the fact that you owned your experience, you basically said, this is who I am. This is my experience. You're not taking away from it by trying to find out how to deal with it in your way because it didn't happen to you. What happened to you is that I told you what happened to me. Your reaction to me telling you something, it's stupid. It's stupid. (laughs) You're being ridiculous if this is the reaction you're having to me telling Mm -hmm. you that I'm going through something profoundly difficult. Like, what the fuck, guys? Exactly. (laughs) And that kind of informed my tone in the song. It's so blunt. And I put it all out there. Like, I do not hold back. It's like, you're just a complicit bitch. Like, how else can I say it at this point, you know? Come on. It's clear that you see the benefits and advocate for doing the work. I think it was honestly pretty immediately apparent in just the first few seconds that we talked before actually getting to record this episode. And it seems like you've been really pushing your boundaries to kind of come into your own. And especially, I think, given your age, I mean, it really is a marvel to me because I certainly thought I was mature. When I was in my early 20s, my wife will tell you that I believe that wholeheartedly because she started dating me when she was in her 30s and I was in my 20s. That may have been true, but I was most definitely not 30 mature. But I think she saw something in me that was this ability to sort of take what you've been given and run with it and create this life for yourself. And I see a lot of that in you. And I see this desire to work with the hand that you've been dealt and not sit around and wait for somebody to take it away from you because it's just not going to happen. And confronting this type of stuff head on is what actually is going to help you get through it. And so do you feel like opening your mind and your heart throughout this process, going through that, do you feel like this has sparked a different sort of creativity for you? Do you think it's taken your music to like new places that it wouldn't have otherwise gone? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I am a huge advocate for transformative arts, which is just a really fancy way of saying creativity is a way to feel better. It's a way to discover stuff about yourself and healing and creativity have become so intertwined for me over the years as I have worked on improving my mental health and just processing trauma into lighter things. Even in this instance, okay, recognizing cognitively, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. That reaction was fucked up when I came forward. Realizing I didn't do anything wrong let me, I guess, open my heart a little bit more and speak freer to the people I loved about that experience. And continuing to get support and validation eventually led me to find that creative energy 
to write the song Nice Guy. And so I would say, yeah, opening the heart and mind definitely sparks creativity. I feel like I've said this a couple of times. It's just, it's really beautiful the way that you consider things and how it does apply, I think, beyond your music and shows in your personality. So I kind of just had one last question for you. Do you have any advice or thoughts that you would want to share with somebody who's listening who may be facing some of the same battles that you have? <sighs> Loaded question. Take your time. <laughs> yeah, they're simple, harder to do than to say, but goes back to lean on people and trust yourself and know you also don't owe anyone your story ever. You get to share what you want to on your own time. You get to set boundaries and just keep reminding yourself that what you've been through didn't happen because of how worthy you are. You are worthy of respect, care, and safety and just be gentle with you as you heal. I would love to add a quote from Tarana Burke, again, the founder of the Me Too movement, because she says, I think healing's a lifelong journey and the hardest part is starting. And I could not agree more. And it gets easier. It gets better. It does. Absolutely. I agree with that as sort of an overarching statement around healing. And I actually had that conversation with my wife pretty recently that healing is not sort of a stop that you make. There's no finite conclusion to your healing. I think similarly, as human beings, you know, we evolve. And with that evolution, we decide which direction we want to go. And healing as a part of that journey becomes really foundational to who we are and the decisions that we make moving forward. So I really love that you have some of these quotes and the people that they're attributed to that you've shared, because these are people that I listen to, that I follow, that I read their content, and I feel equally impacted by their words and their ownership of their experiences and wanting to change the way that we see it as a world. And I think that this is sort of one stop on that healing journey and being able to say, like, you put this music out there and you went completely unapologetically towards how you wanted to tell the story, how you wanted to put that feeling out there. And what a beautiful way to do it. What an awesome opportunity to create something that can resonate with people and really sort of transcends what the experience might be and speaks more to how we have to change to be able to create a world where people are not continuously in this situation, where people are able to feel safe and comforted and loved. And that at the end of the day, who you are, as you said, is not defined by these things. And it is very, very, very much not defined by something that somebody else chooses for you. So I said that was the last question, but I do have one more. Okay. <laughs> So do you feel that this level of transparency and vulnerability will continue throughout your music or do you want to go somewhere else from here? Mm, I absolutely do feel like it'll continue to be a part of my music. And of course, there's lighter, more playful parts too, but that's just vulnerable in a different way, you know? Yeah, um, I love that. So yeah, I'm going to keep following my mission of creation for connection. I love it. Oh my gosh, Ray, thank you so much for the time and for chatting with me about this. I really appreciate you opening up and giving the backstory on your song, Nice Guy, where you can listen wherever you get your music. Catch it on Spotify if you've got that. But I really am grateful that you 
both connected with me, took the opportunity to chat with me, and really more than anything else that you are a fierce, badass, brave person who has given other people an opportunity to feel seen and heard. And I want you to know that I see you and I hear you. And I am grateful that you have powered through and done what you have to be here and having this conversation with me. It truly means a lot to me and I'm grateful. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you for having me. And thank you for also sharing your story as well. Thank you for holding the space, as my therapist would say. Therapists love that one. I know. I I hate it, but I also absolutely use it now. It took a period of time where I was like, stop saying that to me. And then I'm like, well, I I guess that's the right way to say it. Fine. But yeah, no, thank you. Because you really gave me an opportunity to open up about something that is extremely personal and hard to deal with. And it is challenging to bring up in an organic way because it's not something that I lead with. So thank you for sharing the mic with me and giving me the space to be able to relate in the way that I can to the experience that you've had and my own empathy for those around me who have been impacted by sexual violence. I really applaud your bravery and your desire to heal and create content that is important to you and valued by other people. So I'm looking forward to just continuing to follow your music and see where that road takes you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Ray Soleil for sharing her story and her time. You can check out Ray's new single, Nice Guy, on Spotify. Follow Ray on Instagram and TikTok at Ray Dussol to see how Ray continues to share her experiences and create more compassion through her musical and mental health initiatives. This episode's Who the Fuck for a Cause is in support of the Me Too movement. If you have the means, visit whothefck.com slash donate to contribute and help ensure that the work to end sexual violence continues. Make sure you subscribe to the Who the Fuck podcast on your preferred platform. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and share the love by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share your email at whothefck.com to receive updates about the podcast, merch promos, and more. Until next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.